Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Midwest Hemp Council Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Dozier. On today's program, we'll hear from Matthew Clark. Matthew is the Compliance Director with IEC Thermo in Illinois, and he'll discuss hemp drying and other ag and and hemp remedies. But first, we get started with Justin Swanson. Justin is the Midwest Hemp Council President, and he keeps us updated on what's going on with hemp legislation in Indianapolis in the uh, Indiana House and Senate. Justin, thanks for being with us again this week. How are things? I'm great, Jason. How are you? Doing fantastic, and I know you've got some 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 news for us today, so let's dig right in and find out what that is. What's going on downtown Indianapolis this week? Sure. So I want to spend a uh, majority of our time, Jason, talking about House Bill 1224. It's our uh, craft hemp flower bill uh, that's legislative process uh, that started in January and is right now currently scheduled to end uh, April 21st. So we are coming up on the light at the end of the tunnel for the legislative session and really just need to make sure we, we get this bill across the finish line. All right. And what do we need to do to get that bill across the finish line? And, and tell us about the bill as well. Sure. So uh, the, the hearing's on uh, April 5th, Monday, April 5th at 930 in the morning. And that's great because we're uh, coming up on the committee deadline. So it's really the last day that um, the bill could get heard and move out of committee. So uh, just a quick overview on the bill, Jason, it, it re-legalizes craft hemp flower in Indiana. Under Indiana's current laws, craft hemp flower is um, free to move in continuous transit through the state. So long as an Indiana farmer didn't grow it, an Indiana business didn't sell it, and an Indiana consumer didn't possess it. Mm-hmm. So really really what we're trying to do here is is responsibly reopen this market. We, we attempt to take state police concerns uh, into account in the bill. It's not a, a fan favorite for everybody in the industry, but it is an attempt to, again, address law enforcement concerns of, of okay, I pull someone over and they have craft hemp flower on them. How do I know it's it's low THC as opposed to a high THC uh, cannabis flower? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's kind of how we got to where we are today. So in response, the House Committee put in an amendment uh, that uh, requires the consumer to go purchase it locally and then take it home to consume it. And you're not allowed to have an open container of craft hemp flour in your car. Mm-hmm. So that's we're kind of in, trying to incentivize the behavior of, of not consuming this uh, in your car, which you probably shouldn't be doing anyway. And let's face it, with the uh, open container law we have here in Indiana, that's the same thing with alcohol. You, you have to have a happy medium there where, again, law enforcement cannot tell that difference simply by the smell. Right. And it's just, I think it's a perfect illustration of the legislative process, right? You hardly ever, very rarely do you get everything you want because, mm-hmm. you know, we are, there are many stakeholders on, on different issues. Uh, that you, that you need to work with to you know eventually reach some sort of compromise. You know some may not view it as a compromise, but mm-hmm. a good compromise. But nonetheless, I think it's what's kept the bill moving. So what needs to be done to get this bill across the finish line? So we uh, we announced yesterday that the hearing would be on Monday. Um, so that was our first thing. Our, our first task was to alert everybody, and I would just encourage all of our members, particularly in Indiana, to keep a close eye on your your uh, inboxes and our social media posts. We're going to be helping our members engage the senators of the committee to educate them on why the bill is so important. Mm -hmm. And we'll be doing that basically uh, starting tomorrow through, you know, April 5th on uh, trying to get that done. And, I, I, you know, also what the bill does, too, is important is it basically creates a sandbox for entrepreneurs and small businesses to kind of partner with farmers and create innovative food products here in Indiana. So, um, you know, CBD, seltzer water, uh, wine, or some kind of food at the restaurant declares those are not adulterants for our food safety laws. Mm-hmm. So again, so again, it just kind of allows everyone to experiment with that. And also, 
but not many people realize um, because it's not really enforced and no one pays attention to it from my vantage point. It's going to delete or part of code that, that prohibits farmers from selling their biomass across state lines to a processor. Okay, so um, they will be allowed to do that. Yeah, and, and I, I'm my understanding is, and, and again, from my, what I've seen, uh, it's not enforced and no one pays attention to it and mm-hmm. it makes no sense. So that's going to be really good for kind of the regional development of the supply chain where you know, farmers are going to have more than a couple options on who to work with, uh, either on the processing side for CBD or on, you know, the decortication side for fiber or, or the seed side uh, once we get some of those up and running in Indiana. Yeah, because that would, that would put a, a, a very big limitation that you're stuck within your state. Not that the state of Indiana wouldn't do a great job and the folks here, uh, you know, all as, as a community, but you, you, the, with, for competition and to keep right. prices, things like that, um, you, you don't want to be contained in a small geographic area. And, and that's right. And, and, you know, this bill from a high level overview really helps stabilize, I think, one sector of the hemp market, that being the CBD market, because these farmers who are growing for CBD, you know, are going to have more than one outlet instead of just a processor that now they're going to be able to sell that hemp flower mm-hmm. directly either to the consumer. So a farm to the consumer relationship or to a distributor or retailer. And, you know, the, the price difference on when you sell to a price uh, to a processor versus, you know, to retailers craft hemp flowers, um, you know, pretty stunning. You know, it's 10, 20 times the amount you're getting right now. So mm-hmm. it's going to help uh, give confidence for farmers to, to really, uh, one, invest in the industry, learn it, and then also take some of their profits and reinvest it on the fiber and the grain side. Because um, that's, I think, a, one of the markets here in Indiana that's yet to be tapped uh, to its full potential. Now, Justin, you spend time in the room with these lawmakers on a regular basis. Are they grasping the importance of hemp? Are they are they coming around? Are they seeing this? I know we still need to continue the push, but are 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 we are we winning the battle? Um, well, we've we've won the first half of the battle, right? So we got out of the House committee and we got a, a positive vote from the entire House chamber, sixty nine twenty eight. So that's a pretty uh, strong signal to the Senate chamber that there is strong support for the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, traditionally, in the, um, you know, the Senate chamber has been a little more um, difficult to um, uh, to kind of educate on these issues, uh, but it's it's kind of night and day from three years ago versus today. So mm-hmm. it's it's really you know I, I'm going to probably repeat myself more than once here, but I mean it's it, this bill whether it passes or not I think totally depends on level of engagement the quality of engagement uh, that our members have uh, with our lawmakers, because they need to hear from them, not just people like me. And again, you said that members should be looking for those emails coming out soon. Now, we we have a lot of new listeners every week here on the program, people that are not members of the Midwest Hemp Council. They have an interest in hemp. They've been turned on to it maybe by a friend or something, or they're looking at it as a business. They're not a member yet. How do they get involved in a strong way? Uh, so d- uh, definitely uh, go to our website and join uh, join us. We need all the help we can get. We also have um, subcommittees uh, where we're always seeking active participants to help kind of shape where our organization organization stands uh, or kind of what direction we take on certain issues. Mm-hmm. That would be an excellent way to do it. Um, always reach out to myself or Jamie uh, to get more involved. And it really just depends kind of what the what what the members end goal is, what they're looking for. All right, Justin. You said this is uh, this is happening on the fifth of April. That's uh, that's a couple weeks away, the, the day after Easter. So we we've got two weeks. Are we going to hear back from you on this, or or how how do we how do we proceed? Absolutely. I'll I'll, I'll make sure I'm on uh, every week here on the podcast. Uh, it's the best, probably the most immediate way to get updates. Okay. Uh, and then also we'll be sending out uh, member alerts too to try to keep everyone informed on on where we are in the process. 
Fantastic. Once again, Justin Swanson, Midwest Hemp Council president, giving us the info that we need to get. Justin, anything else before we let you go this week? Uh, just, uh, enc- again, encourage the engagement. Only way the bill is going to pass and make sure it's you know professional and, and, and we're being respectful of our senators. Uh, because, again, these guys, you know, they're looking for information, accurate information. And the more stories they hear from their districts in terms of what it, what impact this bill will have if it passes, uh, that's that's really what's going to help move the needle on the Senate chamber. Yeah, you're not watching TV or, or calling into a, a, a news talk program yeah. to, to vent your frustration <laughs> and let everybody know how upset you are. This is an educational and informative uh, avenue that we're talking about everyone taking here. That's exactly right, Jason. So we look forward to to keeping everyone engaged and informed on this, and we're hoping for a positive outcome. Fantastic. Justin, thanks so much for the updates, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. All right, we're going to continue on with Matthew Clark. Matthew is the Compliance Director with IEC Thermo. Matthew, how are you doing today? Doing great, thanks. Well, fantastic, and we appreciate having you on the program today. This is the first time Matthew's been on the program, so um, let's get a little background information before we get started here. Uh, First of all, Matthew, what is IEC Thermo? Tell us what that is, your role there, and what you guys do. Well, sure, and thanks for having us on today. Um, IEC Thermo, we are a manufacturer of large industrial hemp dryers. Uh, so primarily for biomass, but we have three different models that do between 3,000 up to 15,000 wet pounds per hour. Mm-hmm. So these are pretty big machines designed to be uh, part of a uh, continuous flow process just to try to uh, speed up harvest and stabilization of your crop as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say when you say that amount, would that be a semi-full, two semis, a half a semi? Give us kind of a, an idea of what the minimum would be versus that maximum. Yeah, sure. Well, I think for most folks, depending on their planting density, folks are getting roughly two to 3,000 pounds per acre, mm-hmm. if that helps you get a little bit of context. So you're talking about a machine that's capable of drying a roughly an acre an hour for the smaller model, the 3,000. Oh, okay. Um, and then we have the 15,000, which could do, you know, certainly four to five acres. Again, depending on the density and the planting and you know, that's one of the things we run into a lot is there's so much variation in the genetics and mm-hmm. the types of crops that are people are uh, growing in different areas right now. And what is your geographical area that you serve? Uh, we serve everywhere. We've got um, dryers all across the country and in Canada, and okay. we're certainly looking at expanding beyond. We're based in Illinois. We do most of our manufacturing in the Illinois and Wisconsin area, mm-hmm. um, but but we're all over the place. And do these do 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 farmers uh, do they buy these machines? Are these rented, or how do you or or do they pay a fee and you go out and do that for them? Right now we're a seller, so okay. most of the folks that uh, invest in our equipment um, are purchasing them. Um, and we've kind of seen a little bit of a shift. I think early in 2019, it was primarily individual farmers that were purchasing dryers. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the market has kind of matured, and um, you know, I think it's what we've seen is people moving more to kind of a processing center idea where the dryer would be part of a facility that would probably serve you know a certain geographic area Mm. uh, and a number of farmers in that area would uh, use the dryer to dry their crop whether that be uh, through some kind of a co-op or a toll drying okay yeah i was going to ask is that like a co-op or is it maybe one individual that's buying one and then trying to open it up for the uh, for the community type of thing i I guess you see that on both sides (laughs) we see it on both sides but i think you know what we've seen is kind of a 
a little bit of a move away from individuals and more towards uh, more vertically integrated mm-hmm. uh, where they might be doing drying at the facility, but also some sorting or different things or possibly even extraction. And so, um, you know, we, we really found, and I think a lot of people have agreed that drying is still one of the under estimated under sort of served areas of the supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody spends a lot of time selecting their genetics and trying to grow the best crop they can. Uh, but they don't always have a great plan for how they're going to dry it and stabilize it, especially when you're talking about large scale. Um, so certainly our dryers aren't great for somebody that's going to do, you know, maybe less than 10 acres. But right. once you start to get above that, the amount of space and labor that it takes to do something like hang drying um, really starts to <laughs> become a problem. And I mm-hmm. think more folks are realizing that they need to, or we're trying to help them realize that they really need to have a good plan for how they're going to harvest and then stabilize that crop. Um, you know, hemp has its own unique properties that makes it great but also somewhat difficult to process sure sure Uh, so once you cut that plant you know there's chemical processes that are starting that you want to stop as quickly as possible and the primary way to do that is to remove moisture Mm -hmm. and so getting it from the field through a dryer into a stabilized state really increases your options because now you've got you know a a crop that's stabilized that isn't going to mold on you right away or anytime soon if you store properly Mm. and that really opens up your options instead of just being part of that harvest time madness of everybody trying (laughs) to get their crop in dried and then sold at the same time right right. that really helps the extractors and those folks continue to really kind of like i say hold all the cards um in the way that they're able to you know get a hold of cheap product to process so right Stabilization is is really an important thing. And and you mentioned that, you know, if somebody has, say, less than 10 acres, it's probably not uh, financially feasible, or you didn't, I'm putting words in your mouth, you didn't say that. Uh, But it it seems like this would, somebody like me as an entrepreneur would look at something like this and think, hey, well, wait a minute, based on on what Matthew just said here, I could go buy one of these dryers and, and learn how to use it and go out and offer this as a service to other farmers and other growers. Yeah, absolutely. And do you, and see, do you really, see people doing that? Is that is that a where a lot of your business is coming from? Or are you getting the individual farmers themselves or the corporations buying these? Well, we still do occasionally have an individual that wants to make the investment, but I think what we're seeing is a lot more of what you were describing, in that um, you know folks that want to provide drying as a service, mm-hmm. um, but maybe also part of a processing facility that you know not only dries but maybe does some other work, whether mm-hmm. that be sorting or extraction or some other part of the process so that's what we've sort of that's kind of been the big change is it's if you know in 2019 it was primarily driven by individual farmers and small businesses making those investments now it's much more of somebody that's trying to uh, create that stability for the market by creating something like a dryer a toll dryer that um, would allow them to contract with all the farmers in their area to Mm -hmm. make sure that those guys are going to be able to definitely, you know, harvest and stabilize that crop that they grew. And again, we're speaking with Matthew Clark, Compliance Director with IEC Thermo. And before we go any further on that, how can folks get a hold of you, Matthew, and uh, anybody else they need to get a hold of at IEC Thermo? Sure. Uh, Well, you can always go to our website. It's iec-thermo.com. And we have opportunities there for you to contact us or schedule direct meetings with some of our sales folks. Uh, Or you can always send us an email at info at iecompanies.com. Iecompanies.com. 
things. Okay. Yeah. Now, let, let's talk about founding of IEC Thermo. What what was the you know what what was the catalyst to found this company? Who was involved in founding it? And uh, you know a little bit of the background about why they came up with the decision to do this. Well, yeah, I think uh, IEC Thermo was started to kind of fill a need. Um, you know, with 2014, that sort of started the hemp journey. And so, uh, our president and chief engineer Walter Hawkins was approached by Gencana at the time to put together a dryer system for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what brought him into the industry, I think. Um, so he designed a system for them that um, is kind of the basically the system that we have now. Walter has about 30 plus years in industrial drying and all kinds of projects from massive mining uh, to all kinds of different agricultural commodities. So really what he did was take that knowledge that he had and looked at what we were trying to accomplish which had, with hemp, which is to uh, protect cannabinoids and to some extent terpenes. Um, and, you know, produce the product that folks want. So that's what he did. Uh, he mm-hmm. designed a system that, you know, uh, the biomass never gets above 130 or 140 degrees. The hemp is only in our system for less than two minutes. Uh, I think we've got the lowest retention times out there. So that's why we're really able to protect things in the way that we do. Um, so once, you know, we had that initial uh, dryer that was built for John Kana, uh after a few years, I, I believe he had a non-compete in place. And so once that expired, he was able to go out and start marketing the dryers himself. And that was right about the time, you know, in 2017, 2018, uh, when things really started to take off. So we had placed a few dryers in 2018. And then in 2019, uh, with the farm bill, you know, it was uh, definitely uh, quite a busy season for us. Kind of opened up for you. Now, how, how did, did, did COVID I mean, COVID, of course, affected everybody, but it did it affect you in a negative way, or did it become a positive, or a little bit of both, or? Uh, I would say a bit of both. I mean, we had a whole slate of trade shows that we were planning on attending last year, and uh, a lot of events that we were speaking at, and right. like, uh, doing a lot of education on the drying side, and so we certainly miss all those opportunities. Uh, you know, we did. Um, we have a great webinar series that we produced last spring and summer to try to make up for that a bit, and talk to a lot of great folks in the industry and you can check that out at our youtube page um but you know it's we certainly have adapted you know we use a lot of video conferencing and have kind of put tools together to allow ourselves we a lot of the company works remotely anyway mm-hmm. um and so we were kind of used to that so it, it didn't really hold us back in terms of being able to contact folks but we certainly miss and are looking forward to being able to be back out at, at shows and you know more face-to-face communication well you, you, oh i'm sorry I was going to say, everything is just so still so new, you know, that uh, I think trade shows were always a great place for folks that were interested in the industry or really trying to get educated to come in and, and have a chance to talk to folks. And there's certainly been a lot of digital content, but I think we all have a little bit of fatigue from that. So. <laughs> well, you know, pe- people in the farming industry are, are used to to one-on-one contact. They want to touch, see, and feel things. And, and, and the virtual side, we've all... Uh, we, you know, we, we, we adapted to it, we got through it, and, and let's hope we can go back to touching and feeling and, and, and seeing and meeting and that sort of thing. And, but moving forward, uh, I assume that, that, that you are hopeful that you'll get back into some more trade shows and things like that in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. We're starting to look at those now. I think we just committed to going down to a show in Florida in May. So like you said, things are definitely trending in the right direction, and we're excited about the chance to be back out there. And, 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 and again, you guys have been, uh, you guys have been, been rolling strong here for a few years. 
and it's still you know in its infancy stages as far as the the hemp industry but so far domestically do you see any particular region or state that is really rolling strong as far as using your products or or areas that you spend more of your time or i guess direction in right now um well and there's a couple of different things i mean we certainly see states like florida and texas that have the potential to um, have more than one growing season as, mm-hmm. as great opportunities. Mm. Um, but I think also, you know, um, for the row crop farmers that are looking for hemp to be, you know, an additional rotation in their crop, I think, you know, we've seen a lot of that. We've placed a lot of dryers in the Midwest. So we, we know that farmers are interested in this kind of uh, diversity. And mm-hmm. what we really need for that to work for them is to have the supply chain and those things so that they can grow it and know that they have somebody to sell it to mm-hmm. who has somebody to process it. And uh, uh, so it, that's sort of a problem, I think, all over the country. So do you see the, mid, do you see the Midwest as being the, the biggest, um, your biggest customer right now? A lot of our units went in the Midwest, uh, Colorado, Oregon, of course, you know, having been kind of leaders in the hemp industry, we certainly have dryers located there. Okay. Um, and even like I said, down in the South, I mean, we've got dryers in Tennessee, Alabama, so it's it's the interest is all over, um, but I think you know I, I think we're just in this moment where everybody's being a lot more cautious than they were a couple of years ago. <laughs> right. Um, you know they're not planting without a plan, and that's good. You know I've been uh, before working with IUC, I've been in the adult use space for years, and you know people tend to want to try to grow their way out of their financial problems, mm-hmm. and that doesn't really work, right? Because if you weren't able to sell the first batch why are you going to sell the second batch? Right. Um, right. And so it's important that, you know, as the industry matures and we all get better at this, that we all learn how to make those kind of better predictions, use data and information that we're starting to collect to, you know, learn more about what varieties grow better in different parts. I mean, that's one of the big challenges, really the primary challenge that we face is, is the variation and the quality of the feed going into the dryer. Mm-hmm. Um, being such a new industry, there aren't any standards and people are, are growing a lot of different genetics and a lot of the higher CBD genetics are really difficult to process because they're very sticky, uh, you know, and, and, and it's a pretty amazing stuff. I mean, if you've been around when hemp's being harvested, you can have hemp and, and that same, you know, chunk of hemp that you harvested an hour later looks completely different. <laughs> it's gone from this, you know, fluffy green stuff to what we call seaweed. And so <laughs> it's, you know, trying to help folks and help ourselves understand how do we help folks get the right kind of feed? How, you know, what are the variables that go into that? Uh, Cause that's really going to be the primary factor in, in the output that you're going to get for your dryer. Mm-hmm. And we all want to have the highest efficiency, but so that's why I'm excited to see a lot of the research that's starting to happen. I know um, we're certainly looking to partner with uh, research institutes that are, are, doing research uh, because we think drying is such an important part uh, that it really should be part of, of any of these supply chains. And with some of the uh, USDA grant money that's becoming available to hemp operations for sustainable agricultural systems, you know, that's something that we've been working on trying to figure out how can we become part of some of these projects so that we can not only show people the importance of drying, but start to understand how to do it better. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, how do we do it? You know, with the focus having been so much on CBD, we understand very well how to process it to protect that. But if your primary goal is, uh, you know, a herd for hempcrete or 
fast for insulation or something else, you know, understanding the drying conditions and then the post drying equipment that you'll need to get those products that you want. Um, I think that's one of the other things, you know, being a new industry, everybody wants that one equip piece of equipment that they invest in to be the one that will do everything. Right. Right. And, you know, we know that that's not really how it works. So we have a great drying system that uh, will allow for a great continuous flow process where you can really do high volume. Um, but you've got to have the ability to get, 3,000 pounds of material to the dryer per mm -hmm. hour. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've got to have mm -hmm. right. a system set up so that you're effectively taking those super sacks off the back end and getting them stored and moved and trapped and all that stuff. So there's just a little, or even, you know, the post drying assorting equipment, there's great equipment out there that will do sorting of the material that comes into our dryer and end up with some flour, herd, uh, Fast. I mean, all the different products that are coming out. So it's really about creating a, that system that's going to give you the best output. And also really understanding what is it that you're trying to produce. Mm -hmm. You know, we really talk to folks about working backwards. So if you're trying to produce biomass for a CBD abstract, that's going to be one thing. If you're trying to produce fiber or something else or how you do that, that that's a different, slightly different process. So I think... Um, as we all learn in this industry, um, you know, getting us to that point where the farmers can do their job, the processors can do their job, and then, you know, create products that folks want. Oh, absolutely. And make it, make it a smooth process, as you said. And once again, Matthew Clark. Matthew is the Compliance Director with IEC Thermo. You can reach IEC Thermo by going to their website, and that's www.iec dash thermo.com now um uh, matthew we, we talked about again obviously how to get in touch with you guys but if if folks want to talk to the salespeople there i know you got uh, timothy broderick there uh, a great guy on the sales side of things um so uh, if, if folks want to get in touch with you they certainly can yeah absolutely and if you go to our website you'll see there's actually a link through calendar that'll let you uh, schedule a 15-minute consultation with tim uh just to make it easy on you. So mm -hmm. we uh, we definitely would love to talk to you about drying and some of the other opportunities. I think, um, you know, right now all the drying tends to happen around the harvest time, but there's a lot of folks that have bales and as the logistics improve and the ability to transport things around the states, um, you know, there's a lot of potential to have a dryer that doesn't just run during the harvest season, but that you can uh, use year round to, to, Especially, as I said earlier, as we have some states that maybe come on with more than one harvest. Sure. Um, so. All right. Once again, Matthew Clark. Matthew is the compliance director with IEC Thermo. Matthew, anything else we need to hit on here? What uh, any other directions we need to go with the company? Uh, well, I mean, I would just say, you know, it's certainly a somewhat challenging time for hemp in that um, I think there's a lot of interest, but because, um, you know, the price is kind of plateaued and folks are waiting for a lot of the regulation to come, we're certainly in a, what feels like a little bit of a lull. Um, but I would say this is also really the time for us to take the, the time to kind of get everything in a row so that when we get busy uh, and things start to pick back up and we have the markets open up that we're anticipating, that we'll be ready for that. Um, I'm sure that you hear a lot from a lot of your guests, and I certainly see it a lot. You know, what we really need now more than anything is the supply chain that will support the farmers. You know, something we mentioned earlier, I think in 2019, 50% of the crops didn't even make it out of the field. Mm -hmm. You know, so for this to become a predictable crop for farmers and to kind of create a better 
path forward, we really need for folks to make those investments in the infrastructure so that we can not only have great products like CBD, but really start to take advantage in the states here of the potential fiber market, uh, you know, herd, bass, all the wonderful products that we are going to be able to make out, out of hemp. Um, but that right now, we just don't have a lot of the infrastructure in place that we need. Does IEC Thermo predominantly sell um, domestically or do you guys go internationally? We have done some international jobs in Canada, uh, and we're certainly always trying to get our head around what's going on in, in some of the other countries so that we can have that idea. I mean, certainly we've, we've had inquiries from South America and Africa and some of the other places, so hmm. we're certainly trying to keep our eyes open to all the possibilities. Well, hopefully you've got your passport ready to go to be able to get <laughs> down there and give some people some yeah. information. And Honestly, hemp isn't going anywhere. So right, it's right. more a matter now of us trying to regain the knowledge that we lost over the last hundred and some years <laughs> um, and, and get us back into that position where we can create all the products that we know we can produce. Fantastic. All right. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for your time. And I hope we can get you back on in the future and give us some updates and, and uh, keep us uh, keep us informed. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for having us. All right. You take care and have a great day. Thanks. Have a good All right, and that's going to do it for our show this week. If you'd like more information about the Midwest Hemp Council, please go to our website, MidwestHempCouncil.com, and find out how you can get involved, volunteer, and become a member. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember to tell a friend about the Midwest Hemp Council weekly podcast. I'm your host, Jason Dozier, and we'll see you next time. So long, everybody.